women and children can be careless, but not men. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good fucking quote. <laughs> Are you just gonna like do a veto impression the whole episode? I'm. You should do a veto impression the entire episode we're talking. Uh... Welcome to VCR, a Vintage Cinema Rewind. We're bringing old movies to new viewers. I'm Blake. And I believe in America. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Michael. And Hi. Today we have a very special movie, The Frickin' Godfather. Yeah, you might have heard of it. Yeah, one of the biggest movies of all time. Yeah, yeah, and well deserved too. Yeah. I mean, we're definitely going to get into that. Spoilers, we both are very passionate about this movie. It might <laughs> yeah. be a long podcast. We are going to split it into two, though. The first part being our we're actually episode. We're actually going to split it into three, but the third one is going to suck. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And this is also part of our Oscars series. So we do this every year, right around Oscars time. We go back to Oscars of yesteryear and mm-hmm. discuss some of the movies that were important then, whether they hold, still hold up, whether or not maybe they deserved the nomination or award for best film of the year. Right. And this is actually an important year for The Godfather and the Oscars because this is the 50th anniversary of the first Godfather winning best film of the year. It seems surreal though doesn't it i mean the godfather is such a monolithic movie just in terms of all pop culture like and the movie itself holds up so well like incredibly well yeah it almost it's almost feels surreal that it's been 50 years and i think part of the reason why it holds up is because like you said it's it's so important to culture not just movies but also tv which i think really want to talk about later but there's so much of this dna that's in everything that we consume now Mm -hmm. that it really just it somehow still feels so relevant and so like timeless because of i think just because of how how much of its dna is in everything yeah i mean i was watching um we'll get into this more later but like the first scene in particular like the famous first scene there's something almost like grand and mythic about it mm-hmm. like it's inter- intoxicating it really yeah. draws you in intoxicating is a great word for it yeah. yeah that camera shot of when they're moving kind of when it's on the the first guy's face and he's explaining the story of his daughter and it's like slowly panning back as he does his monologue is mm-hmm. incredible oh like, yeah master class in cinematography absolutely but without further ado, let's talk the plot of The Godfather and then get into characters people you may know and, and let's give you a primer on this movie and who it who it's for. Okay, so this is The Godfather. So we follow the Corleone crime family, which is led by the patriarch Vito Corleone, the eponymous Godfather. The Corleone family is one of the five main crime families of New York, and they are kind of implied to be one of the most powerful. But the Don has a slightly old-fashioned way of doing things that conflicts with this new era of crime, Mm -hmm. which eventually leads to a refused offer, which eventually leads to an assassination attempt on his life. Right. So with the patriarch out of commission and no one really poised to take command of the crime family. Uh, Michael Corleone, the youngest son steps in and begins his ascent into the new godfather role of the family. 
Right. And and what's really important about this film that you actually didn't touch on much is is really how important the family aspect of the Corleones is. Right from the get-go, we see all of the different relationships of the Corleones, how they fit into the family dynamic, mm-hmm. where their position is in the business and in just the family dynamic as well. Yeah, so, it really is an ensemble cast. Yeah, there, it's one of the greatest casts ever assembled, bar none. And... Like you said, that opening scene, it really sets up in the opening scene, Zah, that the wedding scene, this is the first time that I've really purely appreciated how great of a scene that is and how it sets up every character. It gives us an idea of who everybody is personality-wise, what their story is, mm-hmm. and like like I said, who what they are to the business. The first 20 minutes in particular is, yeah, it's one of the best introductions to a movie i've ever seen yeah like the first the famous first scene is all these close-ups in the dark office Mm -hmm. you know they're talking they're talking vendetta they're talking blood money and then the next scene it's just this big wide shot and this big bright green courtyard during the wedding right and like the juxtaposition between like this kind of hard-edged internal closed doors meetings and these big colorful wide shots of domestic bliss like it really right yeah it really suckers you in so let's talk characters and people you may know like you mentioned the movie is centered around the corleone family so i'm gonna go through the family and the actors kind of on like uh the higher curl level of of the family basically as, as we open things up so we have Vito Corleone, the Don, who is the godfather. Mm-hmm. Um, he is the patriarch of the family. He's the really the the leader of the family, not just in the name, but he he's really the go-to for everybody in the family. Like mm-hmm. he is the rock, right? And he's kind of at, and this is a really interesting start to the movie because he's at a stage in his life where, like you said, he's older and things are kind of moving past the way that he does things and the way that he did things. Um, yeah, just for just for clarity for those of you who haven't seen the movie yet, it's the movie takes place in around like 1946 yes. and drugs are just starting to become big business in the mob world. Right. Yeah, and the the he, time span is 1945 to 1955. Okay. But yeah, we're starting in 19 the end of 1945 just after the war and everybody's back from the war. Mm-hmm. So you already start to feel that the Don himself is starting to look at succession planning. Like there are things moving in motion that, you know, he's, he's looking at the future of the family business. Right. Um, And so that's, it's a really interesting start to, to getting us into this world. Right. Um, uh, Because it's kind of later in his story, really. mm -hmm. That opening scene in particular, it really Marlon Brando as Vito Corleone is clearly like the standout performance of the movie. Mm -hmm. Like it's been endlessly parodied to hell and back just because it's so iconic. And like that opening scene in particular, like he's, I was watching it the other night in preparation for this podcast, just for reference. I think I saw this movie as a kid. I saw it again as a teenager. Then I saw it again in film school, which was like 11 years ago. Mm -hmm. And like watching it now again at 30, like, I was kind of like, I can't tell if I'm supposed to love you or if I'm supposed to be afraid of you. It's kind of both. Like, you know. Yeah. So just for context, this undertaker wants him to assassinate these two hoodlums who disfigured and attempted to sexually assault his daughter. Right. And he refuses. 
He's like, yeah, you come here on the day of my daughter's wedding, and he asked me to do this. He's like, what have I ever done for you to speak with to me with such disrespect? Mm-hmm. And then he refuses to murder the two men because his daughter's still alive, but he does agree to rough them up. Yeah, there's like an honor system to it. Like, it's like yeah. an eye for an eye. Like, I can't go to that extreme because if what you're after is justice, then there's no justice in killing them. There's yeah. only justice in doing what they did to your daughter. Which is interesting because, like, I talked earlier about how there's something almost kind of mythic about the scene. Like, The Undertaker, Bosanera, or whatever his name is, he famously, he, the for opening line of the movie is, I believe in America. Yes. And he says, like, you know, the Don says to him, like, why didn't you come to me first? And he says, why? Well, and he says, like, I went to the police. I went to the courts. Like, I tried to get justice done, like, the conventional way. And the two men got off. So it's interesting. It's almost like my loving New Testament God wouldn't punish these men. So now here I am on my hands and knees before this old world old testament god and i want vengeance right it's very interesting and then but then again vito corleone says he won't do it but he does agree to rough them up Mm -hmm. but then after bussonaire leaves the office he pulls over tom hagen or someone and he says like explicitly like find somebody who won't fly off the handle right like we're not murderers yeah right and it, it yeah it paints like him in this light of of a very just man and and that's kind of something that we'll get into when we talk about the family is that for much of the movie it doesn't want to paint the corleones as evil or or right or yeah or just bad criminals um there's almost a romanticism to their family yeah um, but they are also still criminals like yeah you know when he says like he he specifically says in like the first five minutes of the movie, we're not murderers, but I'm sitting here in my seat like, aren't you though? (laughs) (laughs) Without a doubt, yes. Yeah, so that's what I mean. But here's the thing though, is is the Don, if the Don says that to him, like he says, yeah, sure, I'll kill him for you. Then how easy is it for the police to indict on something like that, right? Yeah. Like he's also maybe covering his own tail a little bit there because not everybody outside of the family needs to know about the family business. Yeah. So, so I think that's also maybe a little bit part of it. But let's move into. Yeah, we, uh, I kind of hijacked the topic because <laughs> I wanted to talk about that opening scene. That's okay. We can talk about that now. We'll talk about that more when we get into the spoiler section. Marlon Brando. You already mentioned his name. One of the most prolific actors of all time. Very, very influential actor. This might um, be his most famous role. I would agree. The other roles that he's known for is playing Colonel Kurtz in Apocalypse Now, one of my other all-time favorite movies. Super chilling performance. Yes. Haunting. Um, and and honestly, I haven't seen a lot of Marlon Brando's other films. Like I've seen his two most iconic, but the other ones that he's known for are On the Waterfront and Last Tango in Paris, uh, as well as dozens of other movies from the 50s. And I think the movie that really put him on the map was A Streetcar Named Desire. Yes. Stanley Kowalski. Yes. Stella! <laughs> yeah, so other movies like that. Like, he's he's very prolific. Also very eccentric. Like, a very 
out there kind of person personality wise like very infamously hard to work with and troublesome on set i think there's a story about how like he showed up to work on a puck he was supposed to have lost a bunch of weight to play kurtz but he showed up like obese yeah and so that it changed the entire like filming of that movie and that yeah. like when we do apocalypse now someday and we will do apocalypse now because it's one of the greatest movies of all time but there's a lot to talk about with marlon brando and that, that was film. also francis ford coppola yes it was so i guess francis Ford Coppola just was willing to tolerate this guy. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that one was famously a difficult shoot. Um, and there's a whole documentary about that called Prince of Darkness, I believe, that is supposed to be fantastic. It's supposed to be really good, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I haven't, haven't seen, seen it, it yet. But anyway, let's move on from Marlon Brando and Vito Corleone to Santino Sonny Corleone, Ooh. the oldest child of the Corleones. Um, he's definitely the first in line to the succession of of the dawn and he's definitely being groomed for that he's in the opening scene alongside the dawn kind of filling all fulfilling all of these requests on the day of their his sister and the dawn's daughter's wedding and who's he um, played by blake played by james Caan. yeah your, well, your buddy yeah one of my favorite actors he uh he's somebody that we've talked about already on this podcast when we covered thief absolutely phenomenal actor like I said, also known for Thief. He was in Misery, which is a phenomenal Stephen King adaptation. Yeah. And he was in Elf, uh, as well as a number of other important movies. Like, uh, a very prolific actor, very good at playing kind of these, like, the more, like, fly-off-the-handle type of criminals. I was actually just thinking about it now. Like, in Thief, he... <laughs> like he's constantly losing i remember joking thief is a really angry movie because he's yeah. constantly like antagonizing people and right i guess he was typecast is that oh that's absolutely true yeah, yeah he was typecast and i think he was a little bit worried about that in this era but i mean he just he plays the role of sonny so well like he's can, one of the best characters in the can film. i say something potentially shocking what he might be my favorite character i believe it yeah he's so good yeah he's just uh again for those of you who haven't seen the movie so yeah he's the eldest son He's Vito Corleone's uh, the hair apparent. It's Corleone. You're gonna kill me if you say Corleone another time. Is it Corleone? <laughs> it's oh. Corleone. Oh man, <laughs> I've already lost face. Uh, I'm just picturing Marlon Brando like <laughs> screaming at me the way he screamed at Johnny Fontaine. But, uh, <laughs> you could be a man. <laughs> but anyways, so it's Corleone. Yeah. Oh, so embarrassing. Um, anyways, so Sonny, he's hair apparent of the Corleone crime empire and i think i was explaining this to my roommate because we were talking about this today what i think is kind of tragic about sunny is that it's almost like he'd be a great knight but a mm -hmm. terrible king you know mm, what i mean yes, like, yes a great soldier a terrible commander he is a great soldier because yeah although you know what even as a soldier though he would be somewhat difficult to rein in at times yeah so his whole thing is that this guy is just burning hot yeah. He's incredibly passionate and he has a legendary temper. Right. And you know what? You can tell he loves his family. You can tell he really cares about his younger siblings, but like god damn does this guy need some anger management classes yeah and uh, you know what i think he loves the family business you know we see right off the bat that he's cheating on his wife and one of like the the wedding <laughs> yeah so, also that um so it paints the portrait of who he is yeah and and you know what maybe we we aren't supposed to like sunny as much as we do but i think you and i are both big fans of just james Conn and the way he portrays the character yeah well i mean um flaws make a character more interesting and like yeah as much, you know, it's kind of like, 
you know, as a writer, you always want to inflict as much tension. You want to cram as much tension as possible into a story. And a lot of the tension, at least in the first hour and a half of the movie, comes from the fact that Vito is down for the count and Sonny is almost hilariously unprepared to lead this crime family. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he consistently makes things worse. Right. Again, he's not a malicious guy. He just can't control himself. Right. Yeah. He's just so aggressive. Mm -hmm. And there's some great scenes with him just losing it. So <laughs> yeah, and they're all awesome. The the one scene in particular that I really liked, despite it kind of is this getting into spoiler territory? All right, we right, move right. spoilers. On. I'll, yeah. I'll stop. We don't we don't want to get into too much spoilers on the primer episode. So all right, uh, well let's move into to Fredo, Federico Fredo Corleone, the second oldest of the Corleone family. You know what's funny? Um, when I was watching the movie recently, I actually had to Google this. I thought he was the youngest. Yeah, I thought, because he has that youngest child energy to him. Yeah, like I actually thought Michael was the middle child mm -hmm. and he was the youngest son. Right. Yeah, he is definitely the feels like he's got that young kid energy. Like he's kind of he feels like the runt of the family often. Um, runt like, is a good way of putting it. Yeah, they, they kind of often just kind of push him to the side and he's not he's definitely not a main part of the business in this part of the godfather what's really interesting about his performance and I, not necessarily his performance but his character is that he's such a prominent figure in part two of the godfather is he yes okay uh, but spoiler alert i haven't seen part two or part three what oh yeah, my god sorry and so it's so funny because he kind of fades into the background for a lot of this movie and, and becomes relevant in later in the second half of the movie. It's kind of funny. Like, in the first 40 minutes, there's a scene where, like, oh, we're sending Fredo to Vegas to learn about the gambling business. And it's right. it's almost kind of framed as, like, let's get Fredo out of here. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, and even, like, there's a point in time where even the Don says something about, like, you know, like, my son, Sonny, is, you know, he's he's this kind of personality yeah, and then you know we all know what fredo's like yeah. uh, <laughs> no you know what it, you know what it is he says something like something something this about sunny i'm not gonna say it because it's a spoiler yeah and then he's like and fredo and then it's just dot 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 yeah. ellipses doesn't even finish the sentence yeah like, it just kind of leaves it there it just kind of shakes his head disapprovingly yeah so. so fredo's a character that if you're thinking about diving into the world of the godfather i would say it's a he's a very relevant character despite not having a lot of screen presence in this first part. He's somebody that as as somebody who knows the Godfather series that like on this watch I was particularly paying attention to his mannerisms and who he is as a person because like I said yeah. very important to the second part. But anyway, played by John Cazale who is a or an actor that you might not have heard of. Modern audiences maybe not don't necessarily know him and it's really unfortunate because Unfortunately, he passed away in the 70s uh, when he was in his 40s due to cancer. Um, really? So we don't actually have a lot of movies with John, but, and this is kind of a big, you know, this is important. Like He's an important actor to American cinema because he was only in, I think, six or seven movies and every single one of them was nominated for Best Picture. Really? And so let me read out his short but important 
filmography. We have The Godfather Part 1, The Godfather Part 2. We have The Conversation, which I've never seen. But heard of it. it. Yeah, I've heard of it as well. We'll have to have a conversation about it someday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dog Day Afternoon, which I've already oh. talked about, um, which he co-starred alongside Al Pacino, which we haven't talked about yet. But oh, those guys were just joined at the hip in the 70s. Yeah, and The Deer Hunter. Oh, Al Pacino and John Cazale were like very, very close friends. Oh, were they? Uh, yep. Huh. So, and he also was together with Meryl Streep in the seventies, uh, right up until his death. So, good for um, him. Yeah. So good you know him. what? He he did live a a good but short life. It's really unfortunate. Sounds like a full that, life. Yeah. It's really unfortunate yeah. that that we didn't get him for more movies because he is a great actor. He um, is. Um. You know, Fredo is kind of almost hilariously inept at everything he does in this movie, but like it's a spectacular performance. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like. It's a spectacular performance. Yeah, agreed. And now we're getting to Michael Corleone, the youngest brother of the family and the one who's least involved with the family business as we start the movie. That's he right. just got back from World War II. He is together with, uh, he's got a, a long-term girlfriend, I think. Diane Keaton. Um, yeah, Kay. Diane Keaton. And... He's he's looking to kind of go off and do his own thing in the world, um, maybe move into politics or something like that. Yeah, he's sort of, he's very, at the start of the movie, he's very detached from the family. Yeah, and part of that's probably just being away during the war. And it's also partially because he's probably also, as the youngest son, like kind of last in line for Kinda, the role yeah. of, of the godfather and so he it, almost has the fewest expectations to contend with yeah exactly like he's you know don't get me wrong he's a smart capable guy as we find out but like mm -hmm. yeah it's like nobody turns to the youngest son for much yeah exactly yeah and especially when like it's kind of understood that sonny will be the next in line and and like the, he's been groomed his whole life probably for that role. essentially yeah unfortunately and uh michael is played by al pacino in one of the most his most iconic roles of all time although like this is really marlon brando's movie this part anyway um, yeah and, and kind of transitions it's it's funny because the movie the godfather is is really the end of marlon brando's story and Vito's story and it's the beginning of michael's story yeah um, which is it's it's an interesting crossroads. What's interesting, and this isn't a criticism, it's that Al Pacino is almost barely in the first 40 minutes of the movie. Hmm. Then Vito gets shot in the back. It's not a spoiler. That's what happens <laughs> in the like in the first act. And then suddenly Michael steps up to the plate and it sort of becomes his movie. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Uh, there's a really... I want to bring this up. Mm -hmm. In that those... The opening 20 minutes where we have the business scenes intercut with scenes of the wedding there's a really small but very effective moment when they're gonna do a big family portrait and right before the photographer takes the shot Vito says hey where's Michael right they find out Michael's not there and then Vito just kind of shrugs and walks away he's like well we're not doing it without Michael and I thought that was really clever because it shows two things one it shows that Michael is kind of disengaged or detached from the family mm -hmm. and two it also kind of subtly shows that michael is the favorite son yes that Vito is like oh well if michael's not in the photo i don't want to be in the photo either yeah so i thought that was it's a very small moment but it's very effective i definitely picked up on it as well and i think i think you're supposed to pick up on on that kind of little cue mm -hmm. and let's talk quickly al pacino he's a household name um, you might have heard of him. Yeah, he. we've talked about him when we talked about Dog Day Afternoon during the draft episode. We've talked about him during Heat, another 
amazing crime mil- movie. She got a great ass. <laughs> Actually, I was gonna say, watching this movie again, I was after coming off of Heat, I was surprised by how subdued Al Pacino was in this movie. He can't do it on occasion. Yeah, he actually acts like a normal person. <laughs> yeah, and and honestly, this is the movie that kind of almost typecasts him into the role of of criminal crime boss. Yeah, yeah. crime boss. Like like I said, um, maybe Heat. He's on the other side. He's a police officer, even though he he feels like the only thing that's separating him from the criminals is which side of the law he's on. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's also in movies like scarface and the irishman and, and just a, a number of movies also like jack and jill which um, was a crime against humanity <laughs> <laughs> so very very prominent actor and and this is kind of the role that kicks all of that off for him hey i'm gonna ask because i'm pretty sure you know uh-huh. how old was he in this movie i do not know but i oh, can okay. look it up very quickly i want to say like 27 no, he would have been 31 or 32 when he was... Okay. Uh, yeah. So young, but not that young. No, I mean, he looks really young, and, and that might just be, like, how they framed him at the beginning, but he does look very, very young. Like, I wouldn't have guessed 32. I would have guessed, like, 24. Yeah. People also just looked older back then. Yeah. It's hard to say. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. When the alcohol, the smoking, and the drugs catches up to you. It, and it caught up to you quick back then. Yeah. Yeah. One of the last main characters of the Corleone family is Connie Corleone, the daughter, the youngest, the only daughter, kind of maybe a little bit the brat of the family, the least involved, but also the least involved because she's a woman and we're in the 40s of th- the u.s later on we do need to talk about the gender politics of this movie yes because there is something to be said for it there's a great it's, scene it's par- partially it's the timing right? yeah it's, it's the 40s like post-war and we're definitely not at a progressive time in the no, u.s no it's funny um there's that one scene where you know sunny is sitting at the head of the table and everyone's eating and he's sunny's kind of talking about what they're gonna do or something and Connie just very pointedly says, Daddy never talked business at the table. Yeah. <laughs> and so Connie is played by Talia Shire, That's which right. blew my mind because I never knew that that was the same actor who plays Adrian in the Rocky movies. Yeah, it's a little surreal, right? It's mind-blowing. I, I can't believe I never knew that before when I researched this. And the other reason why she's also in this film is she just so happens to be the director's sister shut up really yeah francis ford coppola's sister was talia shire yes huh Um, interesting and there's a few other times where he has family members who pop up in roles or in not necessarily acting roles but other roles throughout this film as well so this is just one of example of that and she almost didn't get the role either i can't remember who it was if it was the producers convinced coppola to actually end up giving her the role so Hmm. well she is it's not like Sure, it's a little bit of nepotism, but she's a great actress. Yeah, like I she very does a great job in this movie for yeah. what she's given anyway. Yeah, the other character who's not technically a Corleone but is also a Corleone and in spirit is Tom Hagen. So Tom Hagen is the... German Irish. Yeah, he's German Irish, <laughs> not Italian, but he's the lawyer and con- conciliary. Um, yeah conciliar? Cons- i can't remember how to say it exactly. yeah he's he's the conciliar for the family he's actually sonny's friend like his childhood friend they grew up together but tom Hagen was actually 
uh, an orphan on the streets and Vito Street took kid. him in and adopted him. Yeah. Uh, so he, he really is a part of the family and, and basically like almost equal to Sonny. And that's what we see in the opening scene of the movie is he's part of business proceedings along with Vito and Sonny together. They kind of, um, op two sides of the same coin in that, whereas Sonny is very like tempestuous and hot headed and impulsive, Tom is extremely cautious, extremely thoughtful, and extremely like methodical, mm-hmm. almost to his own detriment though. Like he's almost overly cautious at times. Right. So it's interesting how the two of them sort of balance each other out. Right. And but that's also a little bit of Tom's I think the way Tom was taught because Tom became a lawyer, right? And yeah. so as a professional like I could kind of understand where he's coming from a mm-hmm. little bit and and taking cautious approaches to things. Yeah. But anyway, Tom Hagen is played by Robert Duvall. Absolutely incredible performance by Robert Duvall, as always. One of my favorite actors. Honestly, I think he's kind of underrated in modern audiences. Yeah. He's considered one of the greatest of all time, but he I wouldn't say that Robert Duvall is necessarily a household name anymore. I've definitely heard the name, mm-hmm. but... I mean, I don't know that I could have put a could have put a face to that name before the other day. Mm. He's also known for Network, which is a movie I talked about on the draft episode. That's right, phenomenal performance. Uh, he's also in Apocalypse Now, of course, and other movies that he's known for are The Apostle. He was in Open Range. He's actually in a new Netflix movie called The Pale Blue Eye, which I haven't watched yet. Never heard of it. It's a new movie starring Christian Bale and Harry Melling, the guy who played dudley in harry potter very very good actor interesting um and he was also in the road the cormac mccarthy oh he was the old man i just rewatched that a few months ago yeah so did i actually very random it's depressing very depressing and so yeah so i think robert duvall deserves a nod here because he's a fantastic actor and somebody that a modern audience might not have a name to you know what i was thinking like He's almost, in a way, he's almost kind of the most interesting character in the movie. Yeah. Just the fact that, like, you know, he's part of the family, but he's also not blood-related. Right, and that's very important. Yeah, like, honestly, like, I was kind of thinking, like, it would have been very easy to rewrite the movie with him as the main character. Mm -hmm. Because he's almost, like, his role in the family is almost kind of the most... Well, interesting and you could also make an argument and, and maybe i'm moving a little bit ahead here but something like goodfellas somebody like henry hill is kind of in a similar position as tom Hagen because henry hill wasn't a full italian and so he wasn't essentially welcomed into the mafia and in, in he wasn't goodfellas a made man either yeah. yeah he wasn't a made man there's that really funny scene where he's sent to sort of shake down that hollywood producer and the Hollywood producer shouts a couple racial slurs at him, mm-hmm. and he just very calmly says, I'm German-Irish. <laughs> <laughs> Not even perturbed at all. I love that scene. Yeah, as a side note. Yeah. We'll talk about that in spoilers, because I, I love all of the scenes with him uh, talking to the producer. There's one other character in the family that we're just going to briefly touch on, Don Vito's wife, Carmilla Mama Corleone. She's in the opening wedding. She's the one singing um, who gets up on stage to sing. She's oftentimes kind of more in the background of the family. And... Which is kind of a common theme for the women of the yeah, Corleone and, and family. We'll talk, we'll, maybe we'll talk about that more when we get into the spoiler section. But I did want to just mention that she exists. And then there's 
a so many characters in this three hour long movie that there's not really a ton of people that i necessarily want to bring up at this point in time per se the one person that i do want to quickly mention is luca brazi played by lenny montana he's somebody that we've quickly mentioned in the jerk episode actually he he's often playing tough guys and the reason for that is because he actually started as a professional wrestler and then became a an actual enforcer for the Colombo crime family, like the real life Colombo crime family. Oh, so he was a method actor. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> he spent years preparing for this role. Exactly. So kind of a very interesting character and a very interesting historical figure that if you're ever interested in reading into him, I would highly recommend because his story is very interesting. And I hope that it is a masculine child. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a great scene what a yeah. oh my god you could quote any scene and i'll say what a great scene yeah really and let's round it out with the director so francis ford coppola probably one of the greats from the 60s and 70s uh we've talked about how he did apocalypse now he was also the director for the outsiders which oh again, really I, yeah i didn't oh. realize that either but very good movie as well as the conversation which we just mentioned um which neither of us have seen but is very well regarded is it okay cool. um yeah i think it was nominated for best picture because you know what that one might not have been all of john Cazale's movies except for one were nominated or won best picture Okay. Just a random fact that I know. Uh, he also did some other movies kind of later on, and he's still he's still directing now, but he's definitely he peaked at The Godfather yeah. more or less. I, um, I, I, and and Apocalypse Now. I heard a joke once from uh, Zero Punctuation that like you know if you ever do something amazing and groundbreaking, you should die immediately after. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the rest of your life, you're going to be plagued by high expectations. Yeah. And th that's kind of maybe uh, something. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but he also did Dracula in the nineties with Gary Oldman, Winona Ryder, uh, Anthony Hopkins and Keanu Reeves. So that was a good movie. Wasn't I haven't it? seen that one actually. I think I heard it was pretty good. It, it has an okay rating, but I haven't actually seen it. So I can't comment on I it. I guess. What do you do though? After you direct, I was, so I watched this movie. I watched parts of it with my roommate, also named Mike, and um, I was I no kinda, relation. Yeah, no relation. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of just remarked to him at one point, like, "Can you imagine creating something so good that it's widely regarded as the best ever of that thing you do?" Right. I didn't explain that very well, but you know, I know what, what I mean? You mean. Like, imagine, yeah. like, because, like. You see The Godfather, you instantly think one of the best movies of all time. Yeah. Can you imagine waking up every morning and thinking to yourself, I directed one of the best movies of all time? It's, yeah. And knowing that your whole life, like he was relatively young when he directed yeah. this movie. But I mean, you know, there's a couple other directors who also could say that for themselves as well. Steven Spielberg, Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Like there, there's there's a list. Yeah. Frank still, Darabit. Oh yeah. It's still, it's kind of, you know, it's astonishing really. So who is this movie for? Well, this is an epic crime film that covers 10 years in the life of a top American Italian crime family. That's right. Um, I think this movie is for everybody. I it's... think this is like a must watch on your must watch list for movies. Mm. It's so important to American cinema. Just um, cinema in general. And cinema in general and TV. It's maybe the most American movie ever made. And the reason why I say that is because the movie is about family, it's about capitalism and business, it's about violence, and it's about justice. And what's more American than those four those things? Those four things. Hmm. Well, you know, I shouldn't 
We were just talking to your fiance, and she said she didn't like the movie. She didn't love the movie. She didn't love the she, movie. She said it's a great movie that just doesn't resonate with me as much. No, she said she hated it. <laughs> <laughs> she actually specifically told us not to tell everyone that she hated it, but I'm going above and beyond here. Th- Thrown right under the bus. Yeah. But she did say she thinks it might be more of a man's movie. Yeah. And I think in our next section, we're going to talk a bit about the role women play in the movie movie but mm-hmm. like yeah it's definitely more of a movie for the boys for the than, boys than it is uh at the same time i spoke to my mom that's right i do call my mom occasionally yep on the phone this week and when i told her we were doing the godfather she was instantly like oh the godfather like she was instantly listing all these moments and all these characters yep the same with my mom too yeah so. i should also say i don't know if we've said this explicitly on the podcast but i know i've said to you multiple times over the years that i think a good judge of quality Mm -hmm. is how long a movie lingers with you right and even though i haven't seen this movie in 11 fucking years there were moments where i was like oh hey i remember this yep you know what i mean i haven't probably seen this movie in like five to eight years either like i was thinking about that and i was like damn it's been a while since i watched these yeah there's one really big dramatic thing that happens with Sonny where right before it happens, I sat up a little straighter. I'm like, oh no. Like yeah, I remember here what happened. Here yeah. it comes. Yeah. Here it comes. Yeah, same with me. Like there's some there's definitely some big moments. There's other big moments that I had forgotten about over that time. And there's something exciting about kind of reclaiming those big moments and remembering what's going to happen, like just as it's happening. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's like deja vu in real time. Yeah, it's it's a very because this film is so long and so much happens over the course of three hours, it's a very rewatchable movie because yeah. of the pacing of of the movie and how like i said just how much happens so yeah you might be on to that and let me just talk about like the, some of the influences of this movie and and if you like any of these kind of modern movies or or tv shows even i i think you should check this out movies like goodfellas and the departed mm-hmm. both very good movies even the the irishman which came out more recently yeah um, if a... you had told me francis ford coppola directed the irishman i would have been like okay yeah like sure and then tv shows i think the sopranos owes a lot to this obviously breaking bad i was thinking throughout this movie i was thinking to myself i wonder if breaking bad drew a lot of inspiration from this and oh, so yeah. i did some digging into that and very much so, yes, I don't want to get into too much spoilers here because there are a few scenes that Breaking Bad definitely directly pulls from. Uh, I think I know the one you're talking about. Yep. Yeah, um, but very, very important. And if you love that show, as I'm sure most of you do, then this movie is incredibly important watching. I will also make an argument that Mad Men, Game of Thrones and Westworld all have nods to The Godfather. I would agree with all those things. Especially Game of Thrones in the sense that there's a, a lot of family political drama happening yeah um and this movie is kind of a forerunner in that i did want to say like what's interesting about this movie is that we get kind of welcomed into this criminal underworld where there is there's this weird code of honor that dictates a lot of their behavior but there's also incessant backstabbing right you know what i mean like it's almost like well, it's, it's just business, right? Yeah. Well, it's it's just <laughs> almost like we. It is very. It almost does feel like politics on a small scale, in the sense of like mm-hmm. we have to sit at this boardroom and be friends and break bread and be cool. But you know, I'm still gonna turn around and try and have you killed. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's very 
interesting yeah and that's where i think game of thrones owes a lot to is in that political aspect of this film yeah um, and and this is kind of one of the pioneers in that kind of storytelling yeah um, and and westworld where where my connection is to westworld is actually with william in season one if you've seen that show anthony hopkins's character no oh. um i can't remember his name it's the the young guy and the man in black's character um, uh, and you don't you haven't seen the full season one i don't think no. but but anyone who's watching who's seen season one of westworld knows exactly what i mean and his story is very similar to michael corleone's story and it's something that i picked up on on this watch because of of i guess the time of when westworld came out and the last time i watched this but i thought mm, there's something there mm. and Mad Men a little bit just in the style the stylization the attitude the, yeah the atmosphere all of that there's one other kind of influence that I did want to quickly mention, and that's that Star Wars has several homages to the Godfather. The Godfather. Huh. And there are some very, very deep connections that I'm going to talk about in the spoiler section to Star Wars, which is really cool that I was researching. Okay, I may have to stick around for that. <laughs> <laughs> so is there anybody else that you would recommend this to or not recommend this to? I'm going to go with my usual answer, which is if you're interested in cinema in general. Yeah. Well, for, you've probably seen this movie already then. Yeah, probably. But you know what? Go ahead and watch it again. And if you haven't seen it by chance, then I would insist upon it. I would also insist upon it. And, uh, you know, give me a call and we'll watch it together because I'm always down there to watch The go. Godfather. I should say, I, I don't think I explained myself very well when we started this podcast about how when I was saying earlier about it feels surreal that this movie is 50 years old because on the one hand, it's so a part of the zeitgeist. It feels like a thousand years old. Right. And, but on the other hand, it holds up so well. It could have been directed yesterday. I watched this in, I rented it in ultra high definition nice. and it was phenomenal. Like the, it, it was filmed. It was so beautiful. Like mm. the, everything just, it looked like it was, you know, the cinematography was just like held up to the today's standard in that ultra high definition. It felt like you were there. Like a lot of the film, it, the way that it's shot. And we'll talk about that probably in spoilers as well. It's shot to be, if to make you feel like you're in the perspective of being in, in the scene, really. Yeah. Yeah. And even just like, I can't, I, I'm, Lots of people pointed this out. The way the cinematography plays with light and shadow, mm -hmm. like those dark boardrooms and like all those dark suits. It's almost like film noir lighting at times. Yeah. yeah, borderline. Yeah. When to watch. So I think this is an interesting discussion. It's a three-hour movie. It's yes. a long movie. Modern audiences don't love the three-hour movie. So you're definitely going to have to set aside the time and capacity to watch this. Yes. I personally watch this one in the afternoon mm -hmm. and i think that is for a movie of three hours of this much depth i i kind of like watching those kind of movies in the afternoon when i've got a day off kind of thing yeah i think you could watch it at night but you've got to prepare yourself like it, you're not starting this one at nine or ten o'clock at night yeah don't drink too much you got to pay attention yeah and you're going to want to pay attention so that's that's kind of where i prefer to watch something like this where do you prefer to watch a movie like this I think same same diff. I actually, I actually watched it yesterday morning of all times. Mm -hmm. Just uh, I had to work last night and I knew we needed to record today. Yep. So I watched it in the morning and yeah, it was kind of nice. It was almost like uh, I will say that I was just telling your fiance this. Like it's a three hour long movie. It doesn't feel three hours long. No. It, it, and it's partially because of the pacing. Like this is the paced first very well. Yeah, this is one of the first like modern day movies that feels like a modern day movie with fast pacing. Yeah, yeah. 
Actually, I do have a couple very, very small complaints about mm-hmm. the movie. We'll touch on that in our next section. But yeah, it is pace. It it really moves at a brisk pace. And so there's one it thing. It skips along. Yeah. And, and there's one thing that I wanted to say about the three-hour runtime is that, uh, and this is kind of a fun fact that I read about, is in interviews on the Restoration DVD set, Coppola said that they were originally planning on having an intermission in this movie because of its length. And the intermission happened after the Michael restaurant scene. And if you've seen this movie, you know exactly what I mean. Yep. And and kind of the next five minutes, it feels like that's the like the time to cut it off. And if this is your first viewing, you'll know what I mean when I say the Michael Corleone restaurant scene. If when he leaves the restaurant, that is the point where I would say if you cannot get through a three-hour movie, it's an hour and 29-minute mark. That's where you cut it off and watch part two the next day or whenever you've got the extra time. Um, yeah, it's, it's a nice clean break. It's a very nice clean break. And then it also, in the next five minutes, also kind of just recaps everything that's just happened. Actually, yeah, it actually does. I thought this was, I did think this was a little cheesy. It does that thing old movies do where like it shows you all these newspaper headlines. Yeah. As a, it's a montage with newspaper headlines, which, the okay, they do mention that they have friends at the newspaper who will do propaganda for them, but right. still just the whole like spinning newspaper headline coming at the camera. I'm like, okay, this is a little hokey, whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. And, and so. How would you like some exposition? Yeah. They're like, welcome to the exposition. This is the front page of the Exposition Times. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, knowing all of that and now understanding the intermission bit, like I, that's where I felt like I, I was starting to look around this time because I knew we were kind of getting to the halfway point of the movie. I was starting to think to myself, okay, if I had to recommend where to cut it off and, and watch this in, in two parts, where would I cut this off at? And that was a clear and obvious point to me. And, and it's just interesting finding out that that was also considered yeah so where to watch uh this is currently streaming on paramount plus with the asterisk of it said it was streaming on paramount plus and i had to rent it so do with that information as you will do you have paramount plus yeah i do and so for whatever reason we didn't have access to this one but maybe you'll have better luck than i do otherwise i heard it was streaming on prime but i couldn't find it there either yeah it's prime through paramount plus oh it's one of those thingies yeah yeah yeah, exactly so those venus um, fly traps of streaming that doesn't make any sense (laughs) i don't know why i said that so yeah so you might have a little bit of a tricky time finding it currently i'm sure it'll end up on some streaming site like almost immediately if it's in a transition period right now but it's absolutely worth your time and if you've got to rent this, honestly, I would recommend paying the $4 or $3 to rent it somewhere. I rented it off YouTube. Yeah, I also rented it off YouTube. That's kind of become my go-to after you started doing that. It's convenient. It is very convenient. But I I kind of want to buy the box set of these after re-watching this again just because it's so iconic. Um, and kinda, I was yeah, kind of, yeah, just to say you have it. Online, so it uh, you can buy it on Amazon for like, if you want to buy the box out of three and get like all of the features it's like 90 bucks so. okay but how much extra do i have to pay to get the third movie taken out <laughs> <laughs> uh more on that later we'll talk about yeah. that one in the in the spoiler free or in the spoiler full section but on that note i think we are kind of wrapping up our spoiler free discussion so i hope you are interested in watching the godfather if you haven't and we'll see you next week uh, to kind of recap our, our spoiler full discussion and review of this movie. See you then, everybody.